Well, hello, I'm here with Caitlin. Today we're going to tell you about profound boredom. But first, Caitlin has Code Red. Yes, Google has declared Code Red. So this is an internal Google term for emergency, emergency, we need to do something really quickly. Uh, so Android Headlines has an article. Uh, so yeah, androidheadlines.com, I should say, has an article written by Hamid Ganji uh, talking about Google and chat GPT. So we talked in a previous podcast about chat GPT, which is a AI chatbot. And you would ask it questions or ask it to do something like produce code in COBOL. And it will produce, you know, the code you asked it in COBOL. So Clearly the most important thing anyone could ask. Yes, exactly. And I sort of started treating chat GPT like a second Google. Like instead of Googling, you know, how to, what library to use to read captures from a PCAP file in Python, I would say, chat GPT, show me how to print, you know, the packet headers from a PCAP file in Python. And it would write out the code and use the standard library that everyone uses. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, it's really handy just to, as, a, as a sort of Google replacement that has a better understanding of what you're saying. And I said, yeah, no, this is the first competitor to Google I've ever seen. And so, of course, now Google is going code red, trying to make their own chat GPT. Uh, and this will be very interesting because now the chatbot wars have become uh, a thing. And so we're going to see who develops the best chatbot to take in your interest. And it's also going to change search fundamentally going forward because previously search was a very simple thing. You had keywords and we all knew how to use the search engine. You would write um, uh, article, AI, chat, you know, and you just have the keywords that you're looking for and stuff. But now in the age of machine learning, you can be very specific about what you're looking for. You could say, hey, chat GPT, or hey, future Google AI. I'm looking for an article that explains how machine learning chat algorithms actually work. And it will either find it, and if it doesn't find it, it will synthesize the answer for you. Uh, so this is a big game changer, and I'm glad to see this happening because this has been the biggest, I think, innovation I've seen in a long time. And I'm, I mean that genuinely. Like, there's a lot of disruptors in the tech industry that don't really have a purpose, but I definitely see a purpose with the AI chatbots that we're seeing. Yeah, and it goes all the way back to what my father used to say. You always have an answer. It may not be the right answer, but you always have an answer with confidence. And right. that's, that's what the, uh, the article I read said that Google actually has had this for a couple of years, but they wouldn't deploy it because it had a high error rate. And now their competitor just blasted it out, ignoring the high error rate, forcing them to move. Ah. So well, that and that's, and that's why they banned, they banned it on like Stack Exchange. They banned ChatGPT generated answers because all, so many of them are wrong. They're wasting all their time cleaning up after the wrong answers. Apparently, like 5% of the answers are just wrong. Oh, a bad student. All it does is make an answer and compare it to other paragraphs and make the paragraph look about right, but it doesn't really know what it's talking about. It doesn't. Like I said, it's a good starting point. Uh, and I kept telling people, you know, some people were like, oh, no, our jobs are in danger. If you work in security 
and you have your programmers using ChatGPT, I assure you, if you're in security, your jobs are well secured. <laughs> you don't. Well, you know, I I I work for a consult for a financial company, and they said you need to write a bad app with all these vulnerabilities for people to practice securing. And so I wrote the world's worst app. And then they said, you needed another language I didn't even know, so I made it even worse. And the students at the end complained to their management. Some of them said, we don't really have code this bad. And they said, oh, yes, we do. <laughs> so, so I don't know. Uh, there are coders where moving to chat, PBT, writing the code might be a step up. Perhaps. But certainly not good coders. <laughs> right, right. So as long, yeah, no. Um, hopefully one day the technology will improve, but... Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, like I said, it's just an alternative to Google. It's not yeah. designed to take over your job or write your code for you. But like I said, you can get a general idea about what, like what libraries to use, yeah. what's the general, you know, how to do simple things in language, like how to do a loop, you know. Yeah, I think I think in the future, it'll be enormously helpful. You'll have AI help for everything. Yeah. Just like and it looks like you're writing a suicide note. Let me help. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is very similar to what we see saw in Star Trek, which I didn't think would actually be a real thing, right. where you just say, computer, I'm trying to analyze the molecular content of such and such. Could you please figure out, you know, the correlation between these two things? And the computer knows exactly what you're talking about, exactly how to synthesize that data. Um, yeah. And ChatGPT works exactly like what we saw in Star Trek. And it's just absolutely amazing. It doesn't have that sentience of understanding what's going on, why the computer might explode. It's not fearing for its life. It just is able to understand what you say and try to synthesize based on the data it has what you want to hear. So pretty soon we won't need other people at all. You'll just have you and your AI companion. Maybe, maybe. Uh, I mean, that's another thing, too, that machine learning might be able to do is simulate humans well enough that, you know, people who are lonely can have AI companions. Actually, I've read stories. There are already cases like that for, like, uh, isolated old people. There are, like, uh, robot pets that do, in fact, make them happier. Oh, good. Yeah. All right. Anyway, there's an article I found uh, on Yahoo, although it's probably... Uh, aggregated somewhere else money-wise. But anyway, they say big employers, because they can't find any employees, everybody's got an imp They're now not requiring college degrees anymore. Um, big employers, including IBM and Google and Delta Airlines. And they say, this is, of course, a good thing. I think like most professionals in education, I certainly hate to see people build up a huge debt to get a college degree when, uh, in fact, I think a lot of other things. And they even mentioned, well, I've always thought military service would count just as well. And so anyway, but the, what what these, this expert says, though, is you could get a job without a college degree, but you better act fast. It's like musical chairs, because right now everybody is desperately short of staff. But as the Fed clamps down on the economy and drives us into recession, which will happen in about six months, it will go back to everyone trying to get a job again. And so you ought to, the music's going to stop. And if you haven't got a seat by then, you'll be out in the cold again. They'll go back to trying to filter the large number of applicants with arbitrary requirements like a college degree again so anyway there is a window of opportunity here because what everyone really values more than anything is experience so getting in is uh, your first step is the most important anyway you've got some complete nonsense about social media platforms reducing polarization yeah no ironically social media can reduce polarization and it, it's very interesting how polarization works on social media so there's this article here on techstream.edu uh, talking, so let's see, who's this by? Uh, Christian 
Stahl, Brune, Overgaard, and Samuel Woolley. Oh, man, that's a long name. Anyway, uh, so social media polarization is a complex topic. You have definitely polarization happening on these platforms, but sometimes on the same platform, you have some polarization happening more rapidly in some areas like of the world compared to others. And sometimes you have polarization decreasing. And so there's been a lot of study about how can we make it so that we can make things less polarized using these online platforms? And it turns out you can do that. However, the media platform needs to be socially conscious enough to do this. And this is where things like Mastodon comes comes in. So you have uh, you know, traditional platforms like Twitter, which makes money and they have a financial investment to make people polarized so they keep reading news that makes them angry and yeah. upset and they keep they keep doom scrolling yeah. uh, but if you're on a ethically sound network that does not have that profit motive uh, then there's a few tips or strategies that social media networks can implement to reduce polarization in the culture at large so uh, the article states them out here they say um surface more positivity um Interparty contacts. Uh, yeah, so basically what this means, so surface more positive positive interparty contacts, they're basically saying make it so people can contact each other if they have different views. Make sure that people with different views show up on different people's feeds uh, because studies have shown that if you interact with someone from your out group, you start to think more positively of them. Like, Sam, maybe you might have a friend who's deeply conservative and you might think, you don't think definitely all conservatives are evil and bad people, do you? Sam says, yes, yes. He nods well, his head. Well, I, I certainly do. Of course, I like that part. I'm just wondering about the business side of it. Right, and right. Mastodon so is, Mastodon is very nice, but that's because it's small time and not very influential. It's only a small gathering of like tech nerds. Right. So in a way, it's not, not doing anything to society at large. It's just like we've all retreated to a gated community of people of our kind. Um, that and people doing Ill illegal things that they can't do on <laughs> on the big networks. Um, well, but yes. Not in the part of Mastodon we see, though. Other right, than right. right, exactly. Uh, so, they, uh, so the other idea is to prioritize content that's popular among desperate user groups. So let's say that you have an article that's really popular among liberals right now. Uh, like they, they might say, let's let's fix global warming. They might share it to other people that maybe don't share the same interests. And maybe they might have an article about, you know, let's reduce, you know, taxes and, and see how that helps the economy, which is a very conservative position, and have that pushed out among more liberal-minded people. So you sort of have that, you're not following the algorithm to what people want to see, but you're purposely exposing them to things that they maybe aren't drawn to to begin with. Um, well, this, this sounds very bogus to me. So what is their evidence that this would work? Okay, so the evidence, they, they would work. So uh, it is a review of scientific literature. So uh, this is a meta-study um, of various, so here it is, yeah, uh, building connective democracy, inter interdisciplinary solutions uh, to, to the problem of polarization. So this is, the, this is the actual study. I do not have access to the Taylor and Francis group Articles because obviously this is all a scam um, to get money out of colleges. But well, yeah, yes, yeah, it is. It, it's it's a meta study essentially. Okay. Um, yeah. So the other thing is, of course, correct misconceptions. So if someone is saying, "Hey, 
the Earth might be flat. Make sure to throw up a disclaimer saying, no, the Earth is actually a sphere. Uh, design better user interfaces to, you know, make things easier to use. Uh, and of course, collaborate with researchers, which uh, I wonder why that's in there by a bunch of researchers. <laughs> but, but yeah, so there are ways to make social media less polarizing. And that's maybe something to think about as newer social media networks get going. Well, I mean, it sounds like pretty good advice, but the thing that bothers me is what goes on now. If you had an article, say, about global warming, then it's like being in a religious cult, which I've done. The first thing you do is look for a few keywords in the article to decide whether it's written by your side or by the hated enemy, and then you judge it based on that. So even if you took an article from like a liberal publication and exposed it to conservatives, they would reject it like an, like an invading microorganism. Well, well, here's the thing. Here's 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 what they're they're saying. They're not saying look at the article and then specifically push it out on them. What you're saying is you're using algorithms on the site to see what's popular among different groups. So if the algorithm says this group of people over here really likes this article talking about lowering taxes, mm -hmm. um, let's show it to people that don't seem very interested in it, so that you get some cross communication essentially. Which means that they will not enjoy your site and they'll go to another site that shows them stuff they like to read instead. Well, like I said, this is this is where, you know, ethical, you know, being an ethical webmaster, you know, comes in. And it's it's very incompatible with with capitalist tendencies. So this is why things like this will never happen on like Twitter or Facebook, but it, it can happen on things like boring and unsuccessful and drive its customers in order to save the world. I'm not even gonna I've been, this. I've been saying this for a long time. If you find the news very exciting and you are just on your edge like I can't believe these people are doing all this stuff and politics is so interesting. You yeah. are being fed so much propaganda. <laughs> Well, but this is this is my life. I mean, my whole my whole profession is making highly complicated technical stuff fun and interesting by focusing on the right. fun part to keep the students engaged. <laughs> so. Right, right, and 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 you can you can have fun fun news like you know you have like Comedy Central, which is fun yeah. news, you know, like yeah. But but if you're propaganda, <laughs> but but it, a little bit of liberal propaganda there. But but if you if you're watching things like. MSNBC all day, you have CNN in the background. That's not that's not the news. You're not being informed. <laughs> you well, are, you know. Well, you know, I think it has always been the same. This is what my parents said decades ago. They said all the news is biased. You have to watch both sides and try to compensate for their bias. So there's no hope of them not being biased. You just have to know where they are. And well, it's it's that out. I, I it, it's not about the bias. It's about the brainwashing. So. Well, like I said, if you're watching boring news, like one of my favorite uh, newspapers is um, uh, uh, the Wall Street Journal, oh. which is very boring and very conservative, but I very, like it. Very, and their opinion page is outrageously biased. I don't read the opinion page, but <laughs> um, but it, 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 it's very boring. Um, and, and that's how I know I'm not being sort of emotionally charged into positions because it, it really comes down to emotions. But if you watch something like like Fox News and they're really good at driving up people's emotions, you'll see people watch Fox News and get outraged oh, yeah. and they'll be like, oh, my God, this is. And that's and that's what you really have to be looking out for. Like if you're and it has nothing to do with like left wing or right wing propaganda. It has to do with this sort of emotional engagement, which makes it less about news and more about entertainment. Right. And and that creates a false sense, a false narrative about the world, essentially. That yeah. you yeah. 
Well, yeah. So, but I don't think there's any solution unless you outlaw opinion shows like Tucker. I mean, it is an Tucker is just an opinion. They call it a perspective show. And right. that's led to all this is Rush Limbaugh starting it all, having this angry opinion, political opinion stuff, which is very popular. And I don't know how you can stop it. It makes a lot of money. The advertisers like it. It's not illegal. You educate people. Like I said, how many people have been told, hey, if you are you know, watching this and you are actively like enjoying this and you watch it every night, like it's your favorite program, then you got to understand that this is entertainment because news, if you're not just bored by the end of the program, <laughs> like it's... Now, real now, you're, now you're pushing the old Puritan philosophy that anything fun is evil and you should be suffering for the glory of God. Well, the problem is the, the problem is that for most things that are fun, like if you watch a movie, there's an understanding in the back of your brain that the movie is all fiction and it doesn't translate to the real world. And unfortunately, with these like news entertainment broadcasts, that doesn't they don't have that same separation. So you have people acting out on it. You know, acting on these narratives on, on the on the drama that's going on, and you have, you know, and even even if even if, you know, and it drives a polarization because you really believe that there's these evil liberals out there doing terrible things to children, and and there's these evil conservatives, and all of them are Nazis. None of them are just fiscal conservatives, you know. And and you gotta, you know, you you have to sort of take a step back and realize that if you are, like I said, getting all getting all flustered over the news it's probably because it's entertainment well yeah okay i think it's the same as advertising everybody knows that advertising is always lying to you and you don't believe what they say and you have to take the same attitude towards the news right right and everyone has heard that you know yeah the advertisers are lying to you and you know all this stuff but no i i don't think people were really told to look out for like 24-hour news stations and how they are essentially just you know entertainment no all right well I'm not sure I see a path out of it, but anyway, we do need a path out of it. And, and so I, I got one here from Politico, which is saying, I've been watching the United States get more and more hostile towards China for several years and been pretty troubled by it because I would rather not be at war with China. But now they say this is Biden's new official policy is in the past, our Interaction with China was designed to hold China a couple of decades behind us technologically, but now that China has caught up with us and is threatening to be ahead, they have now really become very hostile, blocking their access to advanced chips and everything and saying we're really trying to stop Chinese technological advancement in its tracks completely, which really disturbs me. This is the bad part of capitalism. I mean, the good part of capitalism where everybody competes to make the best product at the lowest price. And the bad part is where you just cripple your opponent. So you don't need to bother innovating. And we seem to be very deeply in that path where we think that somehow we will improve the world by holding China back instead of by making, just making better stuff. But that is now our official policy. And yeah. uh, say, I don't suppose there'll be another DEFCON China anytime soon, or it'll be safe for Americans to travel to China or we'll have any technological exchanges or anything, we seem to be warming up for some kind of war with China, a cold war at least. Yeah, I I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, it would be fine if the US and China competed for like, you know, who has the best innovation. Yeah, that, was, that was the point of yeah. capitalism. Everybody competes to make the best shoes and you end up with the best shoes. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's pointless to try to keep them back. I mean, yes, the US and China do have some squabbling, uh, but ultimately, at the end of the, end of the day, we're sharing this planet together. 
you know, yeah. uh, you know, and if we're concerned about China's less than stellar democratic record, you know, our our best option is, uh, I mean, I'm not a political scientist. I can't tell you what the best thing is, but it seems to me counterproductive, you know, to sort of close off ties and be hostile towards China if we're trying to get them to like embrace more democratic values. Because if they were, if they were just a normal democracy, like, I don't like England or, you know, Spain or whatever, who cares if they're ahead of us? You know, it's the fact that they're, you know, sort of like this dictatorship, dictatorship that's a bit, you know, worrying, but, yeah. you know, we're not going to convince them to join us being liberal democracies by being hostile towards them. No, I'm afraid the way we convince them to be liberal democracies is by having our system work well and take care of our people well, and that's not going all that well lately. Nope. Anyway, you've got um, the most important one, the profound boredom article, greatly advertised. Yeah, so suffering. So this is an article all about the importance of suffering, which is a very important part of life, apparently. So let's see. Uh, The University of Bath has put out a study. Let's see, this article is written by, it's a press release. Okay, so we don't know. It's written by, oh, Tom, oh, Tom Media Inquiries. We'll, we'll say Tom Radham is responsible for this article. So this, uh, the university was looking at when people use social media because they're bored. And and, and they, they separate boredom between two different types of boredom. So there's, Let's see what they call it. Um, uh, there are um, superficial boredom. That's right. So there's superficial boredom, which is normal boredom, right? That is, oh gosh, I got nothing to do this afternoon. I'm super bored. I'm going to go on social media. That's superficial boredom. And then they separate that out from profound boredom, which is suffering so badly that you feel like you have to like make make changes in your life because you're so miserable and and there's and the thing is this article makes the has <laughs> makes the statement that people are going to the superficial boredom and sort of getting out of it by going on social media or going on TV but it keeps them from getting profoundly bored which keeps them from exiting their their comfort zone to the point where they try new things so they're saying that people aren't suffering enough <laughs> Well, you know, that actually makes some sense. That's like an old Buddhist truth. You you entertain yourself with the monkey mind, trivial activities, instead of thinking deeply about whether your whole life is messed up. Right, right. So what, what these people are saying is that you, you better sort of get yourself into that state of profound boredom once in a while so that you feel motivated to, to do something more creative, like take up a new hobby, um, learn how to sew. Well, well, my my objection is that calling this boredom. I've I've done this. I I, could, I took a month off work and have to consider whether to make a career change, and I didn't find it boring. I mean, you have an inner life. You just need to get rid of distractions to really think about things. Right. But I guess you could call that boredom. Maybe some people experience it as boredom. Well, here you go. This is why social media is ruining our youth. It's because they're not bored enough. Well, I, I guess I would agree. It does distract them and make them focus on trivial things. Right. But I'm not sure giving them less things to do would necessarily help. I don't know. 
anyway, um, there's a couple more I have here. Like uh, the last pass breach was revealed to be worse than we thought it was, where hackers really did steal people's encrypted vaults. And those encrypted vaults contained unencrypted URLs. And they say if your master password was strong, then they probably won't be able to get into those vaults. But there is a report of a guy claiming somebody got in his vault, even though his master password was strong. So that makes people wonder if there's another weakness here. And so I've been using LastPass for years. And more and more people ask me, should we quit using LastPass? And I'm again, I'm not sure. I haven't quit yet, but I'm considering it. But anyway, Bruce Schneier, who is quite an authority, says that he's getting pretty unhappy with LastPass. And he made an alternative, which he recommends, um, called Password Safe, that Bruce Schneier wrote. So I switched from Telegram to Signal because I trust Moxie Marlin Spike, and maybe it's good to look into Password Safe because I think Bruce Schneier would do a pretty good job of making a good password app that really uh, does the right thing. And it's beginning to look like LastPass really significantly failed in doing the right thing. Right. I remember switching away from LastPass a while ago and moving to another one called Bitwarden, which I also highly recommend. Some people like that one, yeah. Yeah. But is it any better? Is it, what, What's better about it? It's open source. Okay, well, that's something. Yeah. Is that it? That's it. It's just, it's open source. So you can audit the code and it's not as, you know, closed as, um, you know, LastPass. Yeah. yeah, well, that's something. That's why I'm beginning to think maybe I could move off of LastPass. I'm going to do what, what one article said. You can export all your LastPass and then you can grep for password change URLs. And he said, you'll find a bunch of them in there and they still work. So just leaking the URLs alone is enough to compromise your accounts. So that's worth investigating. And if that is true, I think uh, that'll be pretty bad. Anyway, there's one last thing. I saw an article that I thought was very charming in the Washington Post. Um, as I think all of us have noticed, as in the current world where people cannot get enough employees, customer service is terrible. So I rent a car and I get harassed by the company. Everybody has to keep calling companies and waiting on long lines. So these people started a company called Karen's for Hire. And you pay them money and they will call the company and harass them to resolve your customer disputes. And this is a wonderful service. I would like it. This is great. They're absolutely right. People would, and they even have like an attorney on the staff, but most people just need someone to call the line and wait and complain and escalate your complaint and do all that for you. It's a brilliant idea, I think. And they're, they're apparently they have a lot of customers and it's it's a exploding business model. Yeah, no, I, I used to live with a Karen and I used to listen to her like call Amazon and complain about stuff. And yeah. I felt so bad for the people on the other line. Well, she they talk about how they, they deal with that. They said they had a new employee and she didn't hit the button and stuff. They were started calling the person at the other end, what are you stupid? And they said, No, 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 we're not here to abuse the telephone operators. They're not the problem. You have to be polite and respectful to them to resolve the issue. So they sound like they're doing the right thing. Right. Yeah, like I said, I've I've I lived with a Karen. She yeah. was abusive to everyone. And so it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not, I mean, we all make fun of Karen's like, haha, they're, they're annoying, but you know, they, they really can be quite abusive to people. Sure. I, I see this at my campus politics. There's a bunch of people who think the way to handle everything is to scream and yell and abuse other departments and authority figures to get what you want. And that's not really the best way to get what you want. I mean, the problem is that it works the first time. Yeah. And then it doesn't work after that. So they they learn that if I scream and yell and get upset, I get my way. 
And but then once it happens, it happens once, and people are like, "Oh, oh, you're upset. Okay, let's let's resolve this. You know, whatever." Then they do it again, and people are like, "Yeah, no, we're not dealing with this anymore." <laughs> yeah, there are better ways. There are better ways, and if if you want to play the long game, you gotta treat people with respect. I mean, it's just a I fact think. of life. All yeah. right. Well, I think that's it for this one, and we may have another one on Friday. The holidays are making schedule a little messed up, but so far we've been able to stick to it. This is the most important thing. Christmas mm -hmm. is secondary to the podcast. That's right. You have the right attitude. Yes. All right.